Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 125, recorded May 16th, 2013. So this is our 61st 90s episode, and as we've been doing for the last couple weeks, uh, we're going to have a little DS9 and Next Generation, but this time in the same story. Two excellent franchises brought together again, with adventure and frolic and even sexual tension afoot. Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like this this four-parter. We're doing the first three issues today. Um, we'll do the, the fourth issue next week, but um, it's a good story. Um, yeah, I, I like it so far, except for how they keep forcing characters into the story that have nothing to do with the main storyline. And that was going to be my complaint. In, in the second issue, they take up a lot of story time on just and then this person from ds9 meets this person from next gen and then this person from next gen meets this person from ds9 and it, it be, you know ate up half the book yeah well yeah i'm not yeah it, it it ate up enough it was filler but the parts that weren't filler was pretty it's pretty good right right and we'll see ultimately how it ends with part four which is we're not going to talk about today so right little teaser for next time a little teaser now, now, Donovan, before we get down to business, uh, how can I not mention it? Recording date, May 16th. What's happening right now? I think there's a new Star Trek movie coming out today. Oh, yes. So, actually, uh, some people were lucky enough to see it last night. Yep. Like my, old, my oldest son, and he thought it was really good. A couple of fans of the show has already written me, uh, or wrote me early this morning. So what'd you think? And I'm oh. like, oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> Fan, fans of our show. Yeah. Not just Star Trek, but yeah. our show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I got uh, from three different people, which, you know, for us, that's a big number. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So yeah. We, Sometimes we, you wonder if it's just crickets out there. Cool. Right. So, yeah, I always like it when we, we actually hear back from people. But, uh, yeah, it was good. And, uh, you know, by the time this actually airs, it'll be old news. But, uh it's uh, it's hopefully everybody's enjoying it today. I I just wanted to re- record the excitement <laughs> at this point in time, even though it right. doesn't get released for a while now. This is exciting. Right, right. Hey, well, it won't be out. It'll it might still be out when this when this is posted. So if it's still out, go ahead and go see it again. What it's the movie? Worth, yeah, uh, maybe. it'll be out. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not we don't record all that ahead anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll still be June. So yeah. Uh, the Man of Steel will have just come out. And, ah, uh, which sounds so, interesting. Sounds interesting. You mean it's going to be awesome. Awesome, with a gender-bending situation. Gender-switching situation going on. Uh, is that the Jimmy Olsen, Jenny Olsen thing? Exactly. Yeah, I heard that they were going to do that. That That's, to me, not a big deal. No, it's almost irrelevant. I never really thought that much of Jimmy Olsen anyway. But Oh, I, I love Jimmy Olsen, but it doesn't really? hurt my feelings that... No. He changes gender. No. Pretty I mean, minor. Perry White's black. That doesn't bother me either. 
Oh, of course not. Why should it? Cool. Actually, well, I, again, I'm, I'm I'm mentioning things that I heard people like rumbling about. Oh, he can't be white. He can't be black. He's always white. And I'm like, eh, that doesn't no. mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. Um, and I, Jimmy being female instead of male, that doesn't mean either. Yeah, me either. That doesn't matter. I will tell you that I went and saw a. Uh, they they did a revival of if it's a bird it's a plane it's Superman the uh, the musical here in Dallas uh, a couple ah, of years ago. Wow. Okay. And and in it they had a black woman as Lois Lane. Oh. And you know I saw some reviews saying that that was you know miscasting or whatever and I I, I didn't buy that either I was just like you know well, I don't understand why that's an issue. Well I I don't think it's miscasting it's it's. Uh... It's unusual first-time casting, but I don't see anything bad about it. Nope, not at all. And there was talk at one point that uh, supposedly, and I don't know if this is true, but Will Smith was offered the role of Superman at some point. Oh, really? And decided to make that uh, Hancock Hancock. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We dodged a bullet there, Superman fans. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Yeah, Hancock was okay, not great. Uh, But we have three comics. Should we maybe get on to them? Let's do so. Let's. Oh, and, uh, you know, let's just talk really quick about the numbering so that you guys follow Uh. along at home. So I was a little mistaken last week when I talked about it. It's uh, DC did issue number one, and then Malibu had an issue number one, which is really part two. And then Malibu had issue number two, which is really part three. Yes. And then next week we'll do DC number two, which is really part four. It's the most confusing way to number a four-part s- series I've ever seen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting. I'm not sure why DC bookended it and then Malibu did the, did the middle two, but whatever. doesn't matter. Well, to be honest, the first one's probably – I mean, I, first one's definitely going to get – you're going to sell more of the first one than you are any of the other three. So I could see that maybe DC being the bigger publisher was able to uh, snag the first one, snag the first one. And then maybe as a consolation, they gave Malibu the middle two and they get the last one. Hmm. That's total guess on my part. I have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Seems odd. Okay. So uh, let's get on. Shall we? I have the uh, pleasure of doing the first comic which is by uh, DC and Malibu, Star Trek Next Gen, DS9 crossover, number one, titled Profits and Losses, published date December 1994. And by the way, as you'll find out, the published dates are confusing too. Remember, this is December. Wait until Donovan does the next one. Creative team is writer Michael Jan Friedman, co-plotter is Mike Barr, penciler Gordon Purcell, inker is Terry Pallett, Colorist Rick Taylor, letterer Chris Elipolis, color separations by Digital Chameleon, editor Margaret Clark, and Mark Panacea. So an interesting melange of the DC and Malibu uh, production teams. The cover presents Cisco from head to toe holding a data pad, or is that an iPad, and looking stoic on the left side of the cover. The right half is dominated with Picard's face, looking concerned and determined. A runabout is streaking across the lower right with some kind of small city or colony on a desert alien world in the kind of middle bottom. 
Both DC and Malibu Comics logos adorn the upper left and upper right corners. Some text tells us that this is the first issue of a four-issue story arc. The story opens in Quark's where Rom is thinking thoughts of dissatisfaction with how Quark is running the place. If he was in charge, things would be different, and they would be pulling in traffic and profits appropriate with such a prime location. Jordy LaForge snaps Rom out of his inner thoughts by complaining to him about the fixed Dabo tables, and that he can see with his visor exactly how they're fixed. He wants his money back that he lost to the crooked table. When Rom fetches Quark to deal with the unhappy customer, a valiant attempt is made to brush Geordie off, but when Odo comes on the scene, Quark coughs up the refund. Geordie moves to introduce himself, Dr. Crusher, and Deanna Troy to Odo. Odo says that Deanna looks familiar to him, but she says he must be mistaken. When Odo leaves, Deanna admits that she has met Odo before, but says this is not the right time to bring it up. Deanna leaves Beverly to get back to the ship, and Bashir takes the opportunity to say hello to Beverly, who have met before. Before Jillian can complete making his smooth moves, Dax unexpectedly joins them. Meanwhile in Ops, Sisko and Major Kira are playing host to an Admiral, Captain Picard, and Commander Riker. Pleasantries about Sisko doing a fine job of running the station are given by the Admiral and Picard. The Admiral and three others in his party transport from Ops directly to a runabout. They will now leave for a tour of the Gamma Quadrant with a pilot we've never seen before. Bye guys, have a good time. Riker says hello to O'Brien and asks about Keiko and Molly. The pleasantries are interrupted when they lose contact with the runabout. As it is traveling through the wormhole, Dax reports that neutrino levels in the wormhole have become erratic and are spiking. Riker observes to Picard that if the neutrino levels get high enough and trails off, the runabout will likely be lost. A full two-page spread shows the station with the Enterprise-D docked. Behind it shows the open wormhole, with violent eruptions of plasma eschewing from the wormhole. They are unable to transport the people in the Admiral and his party inside the shuttle with the radiation interference. The ship is out of tractor beam range. They can't risk sending another ship with neutrino levels that high. Riker suggests using a probe, but Kira knocks the idea down because it would have to be fitted with Verton buffers, and they don't have time to do that. Picard reports to Starfleet over a cup of Earl Grey. This this admiral wants answers and assigns Picard to head the investigation. Picard objects, stating Sisko and his people are more qualified, but the admiral wants Picard to leverage his experience in these sort of matters. A little while later, Picard receives a call from Sisko. Sisko is not happy about Starfleet putting Picard in charge of the investigation, but he says he does not resent Picard for the place the Admiral has put him in. They agree to work together, and that getting to the bottom of what happens to the runabout is the important thing. After all is said, they agree to work together, and that getting to the bottom of what happened to the runabout is the important thing. After all is said, it is still not clear whether Sisko is completely over the fact that Locutus was responsible for the death of his wife. 
Meanwhile on Bajor, protests by crowds of people interpreting the change in the wormhole as the will of the prophets to close down the wormhole passage. A member of the Bajoran government named Jalom asks to be put through to Commander Sisko. On the Enterprise-D, Picard and Riker are looking at data that Roe and Data have gathered concerning the unusually violent storms that have taken place since the wormhole emissions have increased sharply. The radiation is somehow influencing Bajor's weather patterns. So far no one has been hurt due to the freak storms since they've been in unpopulated areas, but that will likely change eventually. On Bajor, Major Kira is walking in a garden with Vedic Burrell. He is informing her that the prophets themselves have been silent on the wormhole closure, but the other Vedics are starting to wonder if the fundamentalists may be right about the closure being the will of the prophets. He says this shift may actually be making his position stronger. On DS9, Sisko is speaking to the political leader of Bajor, who is worried the turmoil over the wormhole may give the Cardassians a reason to intervene benignly. He says he wishes Sisko was running the investigation. Sisko assures him that he will be working closely with Captain Picard. On the Rio Grande, Picard, Sisko, LaForge, and O'Brien are observing the wormhole from the closest safe position. The wormhole continues to be spitting out radiation at an unprecedented rate. Jordy says the particle decay ratios are off the charts. He says it's likely it will not be passable again for a long time, if ever. While Sisko and Picard speak on their own, Jordy and O'Brien discuss the good old days on the Enterprise. O'Brien indicates maybe he would prefer to be on the Enterprise again. Jordy tells him to just say the word. Back on DS9, Worf approaches Odo to gain some information, but the constable is busy. He's on his way to investigate a security grid warning reporting that someone is trying to access an old Cardassian computer link. Kira and his security team join Odo, and Worf decides to join in on the fun. When they get to the terminals, they find three Cardassians in bulky cloaks that they are hoping will help hide their identities. The Cardassians are surprised. To be continued. Hmm. Yes, little obvious. Cardassians. Hmm. And they do look surprised. They do look surprised. And they do get a lot of trouble in the DS9 universe. But um, since when have they messed around with the wormhole? I don't know. What could they be up to? I don't know. But you can't trust them. They're almost as bad as Romulans. They have no honor. Damn it. That's right. So that's why they'll always lose. Yeah, this was a good setup, I thought. It, it was. Um, I, I don't think this one had a lot of the <clears throat> unnecessary meetups. Um, I mean, it had a little bit at the beginning with at Quark's Bar, but aside from that, I didn't think it was too in-your-face. Right. Could have been worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So uh, I, I thought it was kind of interesting, kind of not interesting, how Bashir is appears to be making the moves on Beverly. Yeah, he is. Which is funny because he's like always trying to make the moves on the ladies, and usually he's rebuffed. Yeah, and she is definitely rebuffing. But I think she kind of <laughs> she's not as good at it, is it? Because she doesn't she kind of relent and say, uh, "Yeah, sure." 
Yeah, well, you know, she's probably, <laughs> uh, you know, in the end, she's trying to be a nice person, but, you know, it's pretty obvious from her facial features and what she's saying in here, which, of course, I couldn't re you know, I can't retell all that stuff. Sure. I have to cut out something. Sure. Uh, she's obviously not interested. No. No. But I do like her little comment that she has with Dax at that time when Dax says, you're staring at me. Don't tell me you've never seen a trill before. Yes, yes. And she says, uh, yeah, once upon a time, which I thought was a nice little nod to her trill lover. Exactly. What was yeah. his name? I forgot. Uh, I don't I don't know. But I can envision him. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. For whatever reason, I think he looks exactly like Riker, like half the time. Oh, the trill guy? Yeah, because he, remember, he dies pretty quick, and then he gets put into Riker for the rest of the episode. Oh, oh, I got you. Right, right, right. Okay. I, I understand. And what, what was saying. his name? Started with an O or something, right? And then... I I, I don't remember. Yeah, I'll look it up. Something like that. But um, anyways, I thought that I thought that was actually a nice little meet, meet up, the, the Dax and Crusher one. Where right. They didn't seem forced, where some of the other ones will seem forced. Yes. Yes, they will. I, I don't like how they do use Quark's bar as kind of the buffer because... They did the same thing, and every time they do the crossover between Deep Space Nine and Next Generation, or even Voyager, it seemed like it was always Quark the, was the one that kind of was dealing with everybody. So, wow. there was an episode of Next Generation with the the Dura sisters, and 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 because the Dura sisters were just recently on Deep Space Nine, Riker contacts Deep Space Nine to find out. What what happened with him? And mm-hmm. then he ends up talking to Quark of all people. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that episode where Prashir is on on Next Generation. I don't think Quark actually is in that one, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was. <laughs> if he doesn't show up. Well, yeah, and I think so. Is Quark that popular a character? I guess he was. They like the comic relief. Yeah, right. And there is some comic relief in here as we see him pop up once in a while. Right. So anyways, it just seems like a weird that to be the the major link between the two franchises is they all go to Quark's bar and Quark owes all of them money. Ah. Or they owe Quark money or whatever it is. It seems to be a, a, a much used uh, plot point. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. And they're they're giving, as Jordy was mentioning, it's kind of a mini shore leave they're having. So. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense that they go to the local bar with gambling, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought I thought the artwork was pretty good, uh, pretty realistic in general. Although I gotta just point out that Picard's face on the bottom of page nine is terrible. Oh, really? Doesn't look that bad. Oh, look! Look at his nose. Uh, it's huge. <laughs> it's. It's not that bad. It's terrible. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, he it's has a, a very broad. He has a very broad nose. It's not a Picard nose at all. No, I could see that. And right next to him, Riker looks good. Looks accurate. Uh, mm-hmm. Dax looks pretty accurate, but for some reason, they got this huge nose on uh, on Picard. For some reason, don't get it. Yeah, anyway. he has he has a big schnoz there. But other than that, pretty good artwork. Pretty good job. Yeah. Now, do you notice the difference between, like, the coloring here and the coloring that we'll do in in the next two issues? Well, there is a different team. 
Right, right. But I yeah. mean, but by reading the same story continued from one book to the other, you to me it really drove home how vibrant the colors are on the Malibu comics versus these. Yeah, and right now I'm just popping back and forth between them. And uh yeah, yeah, they 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 do they do put more money into the color in Malibu Land. Right. Malibu Land. Yes. And it makes it look good. Mm-hmm. It does. Makes it look quite good. Indeed. So, I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw the Admiral in that runabout with that pilot who you never saw before, I figured there was going to be trouble. Well, has the Admiral been in other stuff? I, I didn't recognize him. Oh, I didn't recognize him at all. Oh, okay. But 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 there's an Admiral, um, uh-huh. and he, he beams over to a runabout. Number one, why are they taking a runabout? I mean, the Enterprise has fit through before. Right, I right. I mean, a galaxy, you know, what, why are they taking a runabout? Uh, you know, light armament, not a big ship. Okay, fine, whatever. And, but, <laughs> and they're not sending along, you know, a senior member of the DS9 command staff or something? It's like, really? Okay. So they got, they got Archie flying fine could have been jughead but they got archie flying guy you never saw before with freckles and stuff but it's like okay th- something's gonna go on here <laughs> that's what i thought i was thinking hmm. well something does go on but i don't think it's necessarily the pilot's fault no and i didn't say it was pilot's fault right. i'm just saying because of the fact it was not a main character uh you know it, it was more of an expendable ship right i thought that's oh, I, I see feeling. what you're saying because That's because everybody saying. that got on the shuttle is just is, you never uh, saw him before. Yeah, okay. Now now I got what you're saying. I mean, if they had red shirts, that would make it even better. <laughs> well, they better all have red button. shirts. All well, four of them. Well, the the command staff do. So the pilot did too. I forgot. Oh no. Okay, I see. What you're talking about page seven. Uh, yeah, where they beam over into the yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, the, I was looking at page nine when they're actually hitting the wormhole, but now I see what you're saying. Yeah, he does have freckles and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's Archie, like I say. Okay. Anyway, so I, I think going across in the Enterprise would have been a lot safer, more comfy ride. But Yeah, and, and I never quite followed. I mean, how long are they planning on being out there? I, I had the feeling a short excursion, but they were talking about going to multiple places. So I thought it might have been longer than just a little jaunt. Right. So you think you would want to take the Enterprise who could go much faster than I well, would Exactly. And not only that, a lot more comfortable if you're going to be out for a while. All right. You might want Come to go on. to the bathroom. You want to be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think people went to the bathroom in the 24th century. Oh, well. <laughs> uh at least I never saw a bathroom, except in Enterprise. But that was that was older times before. Right. Apparently, we we grew out of the need to do number one and number two. Right. Yes. There's a a, a Doctor Who novel called Only Human, uh-huh. where the ninth Doctor and Rose go to the. Actually, they end up going to uh, the distant past, so it's like caveman times. Mm-hmm. But they bump into a colony that's from the future. That's kind of sent back, you know, almost Star Trek style. They're sent from the future. They're, you know, they're camouflaged from the, the other uh, 
the native cavemen, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of observing. Yeah. And she's pretending, Rose is pretending to be, you know, from their time, that she's some sort of observer. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, gets kind of stuck, and she needs, needs to gather her thoughts, and she asks to go to the restroom. And the guy's like, where? <laughs> so, you know, the loo. And he's like, you're you're not from my time because we haven't had to use the restroom in <laughs> so many hundred years. And then he That's ends up great. he ends up giving her like a pill or something. And then she says that the the urge to go to the restroom completely goes away, and she doesn't even want to think about what's what's happening to her body right now. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of a funny little. Well, so that so is that a little. Uh... Backslap on uh, on Star Trek or something? Yeah, uh, I was I was wondering if it was. That's funny. It was. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Some of those uh, Doctor Who novels uh, was actually pretty pretty good to pretty good to read. Uh huh. Anyways, <clears throat> oh, I, I've got an obvious question for you that maybe they just they they explained, but quite frankly, I don't think they did. What the heck was the Enterprise doing there anyway? Did they transport the Admiral and the party to DS9? Is that why they were there? Wow, you asked the big questions. No, I don't know. I, I'm assuming, I I'm assuming saying. that has to be it. Yeah, I figured that was it too, but it's like they just start the, sh- the episode or the issue out and they're all there. You know? Right. Admiral and some other dignitaries in Starfleet, uh, uh, they appear higher ups. And then you got Enterprise and. And, and Picard and Riker and everything there, and it's like, they never explain why they're all there. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, now the Admiral going on some kind of tour of the Gamma Quadrant, okay, so they explain that, but why is the Enterprise there? Good point. And the, the only thing that made sense was transport duty. But, uh, right. I, that's what I assumed, but you're you're right. They don't they don't actually say that anywhere. Right. Yeah, just wondering. Good point. So can I ask you a question about your you can synopsis? Ask. You can ask. On uh, page five, when Odo and, and Troy are having their little conversation. Page five. So, you know, she's looking at Odo as if she knows who he is, and he says, you know, have we met? You look you look oh, familiar. Right. Yeah, right, right. Now, I didn't get – in your synopsis, you kind of implied that she had met him before, but he just doesn't remember. Um, well, I just based on what Deanna said. Well, she said – yeah, I don't think it was a good time to bring it up. Yeah, right. So I, but, I assume that was a reference to something that I was oblivious to. I thought it was just a reference to, you know, she knows who he is because of her mother, right? Cause we, oh, that? That's what I'm assuming. That oh. She, she, maybe he doesn't put okay. to get two and two together. Well, I, in fact, I know for a fact, because it happens in the next issue, that uh, she is uh, looks Juana's or... However, you pronounce her name's um, Luxana. daughter. Luxana, I think. Margell Berry. So that's the reason. I think so. Huh. Because I, I can't think of because of a because fam- of a met. family resemblance. Because they don't look anything alike. <laughs> sure, they do. No, they don't. Yeah, they they're do. two totally unrelated actors. Come on. But I think that's what they're getting at. That's why Odo thinks she looks a little familiar, and uh, he doesn't know her last name's Troy yet. Okay. That's what I'm gathering. That and makes then, more sense. Because other than that, I don't know I don't know where they would have met before. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, 
I was just taking what she said. Right. So everybody's meeting O'Brien again. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, lots of uh, you know reunions there. Mm-hmm. But did you think that the Riker O'Brien conversation there on page eight was a little awkward? So Riker says, "Oh, hey, how's Keiko and the little girl?" And then he starts to tell him, and then almost sounds like you know he, he's, he's not he's too lost terribly his interest. happy. And then Riker's like, "Oh, okay, get back to work." Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. <laughs> I, I was like, <laughs> he just told you how horrible everybody's doing, and all you have to say is, "Right, Chief, get back to work and tell the ladies my or give the ladies my regards." And I was like, "What <laughs> <laughs> <and> a jerk!" <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, O'Brien, but you don't have breasts, and, uh, you know, I'm going. Uh, I thought that was uh, weird. And luckily, as we'll see, eventually Riker finds somebody with breasts, so thumbs up, Riker. But yeah, he's kind of jerky in this one. He does find somebody with breasts? Hmm. Yes. All right. I can't you wait to get to that You don't part. remember? Hmm. Well, let's just You see. did read these books, right? I did. You're not just faking it. Okay. I know that he has interaction with somebody later, but not in a romantic way. Okay. Cool. So I guess we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I just made a little comment about how, you know, they began kind of wedging characters in. And I thought Deanna and Dr. Crusher were kind of wedged in in this this episode this issue. Although not as bad as later. Well, I didn't feel I felt like I wanted to see Troy and Odo, so I that was a, a meetup I wanted well, to see. Okay, but how about when Deanna is speaking to Worf, so the first time we see Worf, and they're talking about what I think is a trivial matter that really has nothing to do with the story, and then she just kind of drifts off while Worf goes off for adventure with Odo and Kira. I thought that okay. part was kind of, like, irrelevant. Yes, okay, right, yeah, so they do that, a little... That part. That right, part right, later. Right. It was later in the issue. Yeah. Yeah, so they do a little recap about when Worf was here last. Yeah. And found his dad, or thought yeah. he was going to find his dad. Right. Yeah, that, that two-parter that had Bashir on the Enterprise. Right. So it's fine that they mentioned it. It just had nothing to do with the story. True. Like, like many, of the, many of the things that just have to do with... Hey, people like to see Troy. Let's see her a little more. Uh, hey, people like to see Beverly. Let's let's give her something to say. Uh, yeah, whatever. Right. Okay. Well, in in regards to that one page, I agree with you. But still, that's just one page where. True. We're gonna get eight pages here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly, and and that's all I have to say about this issue. All right, me too. So, I guess we can just move on to issue number two, which is called. Issue two of the four-parter is actually Malibu Comics, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Next Generation, crossover number one. Uh, Its published date was October 1994. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, Ken, so I guess we could go ahead and talk about it. Malibu cover dates was the actual month that the book came out, where DC was always like two months in the future. And I don't know why DC has always been like that. Right. So that that's where that, that came from. So, yeah, if you were looking at just the dates, you would think that this came out two months earlier than number one. Exactly. And I know published dates often are, are not reality. but yeah. And then when you have the two different companies yep. doing something like this, they each have their own 
their own naming conventions. Exactly. So uh, the actual issue is called The Wormhole Trap. The uh, writer is Michael W. Barr. Michael Jan Friedman is the co-plotter. Gordon Purcell is the penciler. Terry Pallet inker. Patrick Osley is the letterer. Uh, Moose Bauman is the color design. Violet Hughes with Janice Weismar is the interior color. And Mark Panacea and Margaret Clark are the editors. So the cover has, uh, in the middle, taking up most of the page, are two headshots, one of Picard and one of Cisco. Uh, they're, they're in profile looking off to the reader's right. Uh, behind the duo, we see a small depiction of Deep Space Nine. And kind of in front and to the right is a, a small picture of the Enterprise D. So the story starts off on Bajor with uh, Vedek Burrell. Uh, he's talking to some Bajoran official. And he's offering sanctuary to many of the people who are being affected by the harsh climate changes due to the wormhole's uh, chaotic state. So it's uh, kind of throwing Bajor for a loop. Meanwhile, back on Deep Space Nine, which is depicted in front of a very angry, fiery red flaming wormhole. Uh, inside the station, Kira, Odo, and Worf have just cornered four Cardassians who are attempting to sabotage the station. The trio leap into action to take out the malcontents. Odo changes into a large green alien that looks like a cross between a praying mantis and an octopus. He quickly bashes two of the villains' faces together, and Kira and Worf each take out uh, another Cardassian each. Before they can put the cuffs on them, they start to hum and vanish within a transporter field. Data is on the Enterprise, and Dax is on Deep Space Nine. They both note that a ship has departed the station. Neither of them are able to stop the ship from fleeing due to a special reflective paint job on the craft. The craft makes it into the wormhole and vanishes. Later, Picard and Sisko talk to Kira and her team. He notices that she has some blood on her from one of the Cardassians. He asks for Dr. Crusher and Bashir to look at it to see if it offers any clues. The next eight pages are filled with conversations and meetings with the two crews from the, the two shows. So I'm going to very briefly discuss them. The first one has Bashir uh, asking Crusher out on a dinner date. Hold on one second. Let me go to that real quick. Okay, so the first one has Bashir continuing to ask Crusher out for a dinner date. Um, they're changing it from an early dinner to a late supper. Jordy and O'Brien are shown working on the sabotaged wiring of the station. Troy and Odo meet at Quark's, and then she informs the constable that her mother has told her many stories about her time there on Deep Space Nine. Odo seems concerned of what those stories may entail. But Troy is playing it coy, and she leaves the bar. 
Alexander has made friends with Jake and Nog, and the three of them are running around the station. Uh, and this little game ends with Alexander running smack dab into Picard. And last, we see Dax and Data working together on how the aliens are able to travel through the wormhole. Later, Riker is tasked with getting an away team together that will include members of both crews. He chooses Troy, Data, Bashir, and Odo. Kira arrives and pleads with Riker about her joining his team to take a runabout into the wormhole using Data and Dax's new method. Riker refuses, uses her own words against her from last issue, where he says, I've been at this long enough to know my job. She continues to plead with him, saying that she needs to do something, anything, that might help her people who are suffering there on the planet. Riker relents, and they all enter the runabout. As the tiny craft is about to enter the wormhole... The two doctors report to Riker about the Cardassian blood that they were analyzing. Turns out it's not Cardassian blood at all, but it's actually some unknown form of alien blood that's been altered to resemble Cardassian. The crew go ahead and enter the wormhole. The changes inside make the travel very dangerous. Huge ripples of energy reach out towards the ship. Data is able to avoid most of them, but the ship is grazed by one of them, and as they exit the wormhole, they're spinning uncontrollably. Once they do have the ship under control, they are shocked to find a huge armada of several dozen alien craft. They can even see the lost Federation runabout being held in place underneath one of the ships by a blue tractor beam. They raise shields to no effect. The aliens' powerful tractor beams blast through the shields and hold the craft in place. To be continued. Hmm. A bit of a pickle. But quite only frankly, for Riker. Only, only for Riker? Okay. And his team. Yes, and his team, right. Okay. Well, they must have known there, known there was some kind of risk going into this. Sure. I mean, natural risk of maybe not being as smart as you think you are getting through that destabled wormhole and uh, you know who knows what was on the other side and they found out the big bad yeah and the, this is an alien ship design that we've not seen before so these are noob aliens they are but don't they kind of remind you of kind of a spin on a runabout uh, some of them some well of them. yeah and that they have the little nose and then the nacelles are yeah. kind of part of the ship. Yeah, I could see that. Actually, the one that I see that is directly next to the runabout in that big two-page spread towards mm-hmm. the end, right. that almost looks like a um, an, you know, uh, an onboard defiant nacelle. With yeah, it so close. a little bit of that. I could see that. A little that. bit of that. Yeah. Kind of a... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is actually quite a variety. You are right about that. I mean, the one in the upper left-hand side kind of almost looks like a to- uh, an iron without the <laughs> handle on top. It does a little bit. You know, a clothes iron. Right, right. Yeah, as opposed to golf iron. Yes. <laughs> so yes, quite quite a quite a collection of ships there, but they're all the same color. Yeah, that's how you paint your ships of the future. Apparently, apparently. Yeah, I, I thought it was a very risky mission to go on, but... Right. 
And I think I would have taken Cisco with me. He, he's the only one that's ever been able to talk to the wormhole aliens. If whatever happened to the wormhole has agitated it like that, I think I might want to talk to the aliens that live inside to see if they could do something about it. Yeah. Or maybe they might even be behind it. Right. Right. So I do think it's funny they don't even don't even consider that. Right. I do agree there. Of course, it does look like these aliens are behind it, but we don't know yet. We don't know yet. We do, we do not know. Okay, well, th- th- this is something. How will they get out of this one? That is a lot of ships for one little runabout to do anything about. Mm. Well, we might get pretty much... We might get that re- resolved next issue. We might. We not might. anything. Or not. So I thought it was really cool on page five where Worf... Well, actually, it's the yin and yang of things. On page five, there's a great shot where they're in the middle of that fight with those seemingly Cardassian aliens. Mm-hmm. And there's a great shot where Worf is uh, doing his uh, palm punch mm-hmm. into one of the aliens, and he's really knocking them out. So that's the great cool part. And then in the background above, Kira has somehow gotten her short little form up on some handy bars that are coming down from the ceiling. And she's doing a Batgirl kick. She is doing a Batgirl kick. She is doing a Batgirl kick. And I just got to say, as cool as Worf looked doing his thing, taking out one of the aliens, Kira looked like an idiot. (laughs) That's just my opinion. I I liked that. Well, how did she get up there? She's not a tall person. She jumped on their face and then jumped up to the bar. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, it, I, I, I get it. I know. It's, it's a fight thing, whatever. But it's just a little ridiculous. I thought the ridiculous part was the stupid alien thing that Odo turned into. Oh, well, you know. Okay, so alien can turn into anything. So I'm cutting him a little slack. Well, then but... why doesn't he do that in every fight? Turn I, into a friggin' dinosaur, step on everybody, <laughs> get it revert done back to your normal form. <laughs> True. But I'm so, sorry, Kira looked ridiculous. She uh, is a short she's a short woman. I thought she looked fine. That I thought her fight scene was good. Uh, I just really did not like Odo's. Yeah. And he's like you know, Worf's like, Do you need a weapon? Oh, I I don't need a weapon. And then he turns into a monster. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes on to say Quite frankly, with with what I can do, I think a phaser would make it really unfair. Yeah. I'm that good. <laughs> oh, Odo. I am the Odo Meister, and I'm that good. <laughs> and he is. I mean, look, look right. what he can turn into. Well, in this one, that's all he turns into, but uh, he'll turn into something else later that I, I have equally the same problem with. Yes. But like the reverse. Yeah, so the, the, the amazing changes in mass... That Oda can do, right? So here, yeah. he, here he enlarged himself into a giant squid-like monster, and then later he will change into something that I've never seen him change into before. No, and it's pretty ridiculous. Right. Okay. But so while we're on that page, they're on page six when mm-hmm. the uh, the Cardassians are beaming away. Mm-hmm. Look at. Kira's and Odo's, I mean, uh, I guess Kira and Worf are both contacting their 
the ships or right. our ops. Yeah, they're both hitting their com badges. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't catch that at first. I looked at it and I thought, are they doing like gang signs? <laughs> the two fingers kind of uh-huh. up, up on their chest. But yeah, okay, they're they're contacting. Uh, that that does look a little bit like that. <laughs> Kira's got got the up high uh, with the with the re- left uh, left hand, and then down low with the right hand, and uh, right. yeah. But uh, anyways, all right, yeah. I'll give them that. They're contacting their ships. Exactly. Hmm. <laughs> Batgirl. But I like the Batgirl thing. Now, now she's okay in the next panel where you know she's kicking the supposed Cardassian with her knee, so that looks pretty cool. And then she's somehow flipping him over her shoulder. Okay, so that looks okay. But I'm sorry. No. No. So I guess that's where they're showing that, that one guy's bleeding on his shoulder and that's how she got the blood all over her. Yep. Hmm. There is a little splash, isn't there? Yep. Okay, so didn't you think it was kind of handy how the Enterprise, a galaxy class freaking starship, could pass it with with data at controls? is able to let that supposed Kardashian ship get away with the Teflon coating that makes it hard to see and get and yeah, grab. I, that was ridiculous. The, it was the ridiculous. Reflective paint or reflective coating, yes. whatever it is. I'm, makes it hard to see and hard for a tractor beam to grab a hold of. And hard for it to shoot. They even shoot it and the and the blaster the phasers just kind of roll off. Yeah. Whatever this is, you need to line every Federation ship with this. Spray it <laughs> on there. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that I really thought that it's was magic. silly. It's magic. Yeah. It's stupid. That, now, obviously, they had to let the ship go just, sure. to keep, just to keep the story going. I get that. It's just stupid. Right. Yeah. It's a very bad explanation. Yeah. And then, you know... It's it's a fast ship. I mean, of course it is docked, whatever, but I don't know. It just I'm sorry. All right. Enough of that. Yep. I wish they would have just said it was, you know, cloaked or it cloaked itself and then right. took off or something. Yeah. But they had to see it go through, so they knew right. it was possible to go through and analyze what they did yeah, and, and they duplicate had to be able it. To do it themselves. So, okay. I get it, but mm. <laughs> Okay, so did they really need Nog, Jake, and Alexander being this issue? That's exactly my point. We get eight pages. This this comic's only twenty four <clears throat> pages long total. We get eight pages of just random meetups, which yeah. I thought was a huge waste. Yep. Uh, the Nog and Alexander one, maybe the worst of them of them all, but I mean, at least it kind of has Keiko in it, kind of implying that they're going to all make it over to Enterprise for a little tour later. Mm-hmm. But did I need to see, you know, more of O'Brien and and oh yeah, and, and Keiko? And, well, talk, I, I talking about leaving or not? Is that this one or that's the next issue? Oh, did I jump the gun? I guess I jumped the gun. Oops. Now I was thinking more of just more of O'Brien and Jordy talking about oh that the woes of being on Deep Space Nine and right. I don't know. I I just didn't really care for that too much. Right, but I did like the fight scene between Kira and Riker because she was kind of a bee to him in the last issue, and I like that he threw it back in her face and even quoted her. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a good, good little barb. Yeah, a little reminiscent 
of the little uh, tiffs that went on between Shelby and he in uh, Best <laughs> of Both Worlds. Right, right. Yeah, and then she's able to convince him, though, so. Right. I mean, was he always going to let her on, and, and he just was... Oh, I, I think he milked it a little longer. I mean, I'm, I'm sure at first he did not want to, but I think he changed his mind somewhere around the middle of that confrontation and just, you know, kept it going a little longer. Right. Come on, jump, jump, jump. <laughs> okay, I guess you've jumped enough. You're a good girl. Come on. <laughs> I thought the artwork during those those three pages uh, was really good. Some of the facial expressions on on her face when she's, you know, getting her words thrown back at her and, and the look on his face when he's, you know, smugly saying, okay, I'll go ahead and let you be on. Uh, that to me is is really good artwork that you can convey that that emotion and you can kind of get the idea that it is those actors making these faces. Right. I thought it was good. Yeah, I agree. I'm just looking at some of the like that one when Kira's first uh, like closing her right eye. Right, kind of like kind of like wincing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I, you I, remember I said that? Oops. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. Gotcha. Okay, so at this point, I definitely knew the saboteurs weren't Cardassians. How did you know? Because they said it at the end? No, this was before that. Oh, you're saying way at the beginning when they first beamed away, you knew they weren't No, somewhere, was it? Somewhere around the middle of it? I mean, I, I know where I put my comment. But but well before we got to the point of... I mean, especially when they said that... The, uh, when Bashir said there was something odd about the blood. An odd flux in the genome set. Yeah, something like that. Is right. that what he said? Yeah, yeah, that sounds like some good techno babble. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was just the icing on the cake. I, I thought it was a little bit too obvious that the Cardassians would be there. But sure, sure. And I like how in the next issue, I think it's the next issue where. Oh no, it was in this one. I skipped it. Oops. Uh, where Goldicott is contacted and he's oh, like, right. well, you, "You always blame the Cardassians." That's right. Um. I thought that was actually a good scene. I should have not skipped that one. Oh, well. Can't have everything in there. Right. And then when they mentioned the blood, the gull was like, oh, well, maybe some rogue elements. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that was kind of good. Because he wasn't even sure at that point. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, those Federation guys usually know what they're talking about. Hmm. Okay, I'll check into this. Uh, so one thing that's uh, really driven home for me when I'm seeing this issue, where I'm seeing the two crews together. Yeah. I really like the Deep Space Nine jumpsuit better than the, oh. the Federation, yeah. the Starship uniform. Yeah. It, well, less pajamas, even though it's still well, still the same design. But just the, well, just switching the colors like that just makes it seem I could take it more serious than than what Picard wears. Well, we mean switching the colors. They're both red on top and black on well, bottom. So there, there's more black. You like the more black? I like I like just the shoulders having color and then the rest of it being all black versus oh right the black right. shoulders a a red sweatshirt kind yep. of thing and then uh, black pants yep. with the big V at the stomach area well I, I, I do agree I, I'm playing devil's advocate but sure. I, I do kind of like I, I like the original kind of uh, you know Charlie Brown kind of zaggy uh, 
uniforms. I, sure. I, I I like those almost like from a um, and it's not like it's that old, but almost like a uh, I like the old stuff. Uh, nostalgia, almost nostalgia. Sure. That's the word I'm looking for. Right. But I do kind of like the newer uh, uniforms better. And then again, I like the 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 next one they start wearing in the um in the movies. Right. Right. Agreed. So I, I think they continue to uh, improve the uniforms. I like the styles. Yeah, I agree. Dump the pajamas. I thought that was a great thing. And then raise the collars. The collars always look more cool. Right. So I, I like when they did that. And then, uh, all right, there you go. Yeah, but, but what Cisco wears looks more like a uniform to me than what Picard wears, which looks more like pajamas. Really? Because w- I'm going to say just the opposite. Are you? I- I'm going to say that what uh, what Cisco wears looks more like a single unitard, more like a single piece than the obvious tunic and pants that Riker and and Picard wear. Hmm. Because it seems to flow more. I mean, it's it seems like it's it's almost like I don't know. Uh, lighter material, thinner material. It, it seems like more like more like one piece, even though I know it's not. Right. Well, I mean, I guess because it has it has a separation of the color. So you have red, and then on on Picard, it's red, yes, and then right when and the then shirt the pants. ends, you have pants. Whereas right, right. Yes, yeah, Cisco's, Cisco's looks kind of like all a, black, o- like an overall type. Yeah, like a little maybe. bit. I mean, you know, it's not, but it kind of looks like that a little bit. It has sure. more of a feel of sure. that. Sure, I can see. Sure. That. Sure. I can see what you're saying. I just, if I was an alien attacking the Federation, I think just by looking at those two standing together, I would take Cisco a little more seriously <laughs> than the guy with the big V on his chest or the the inverted V on his on his stomach with the Charlie Brown shirt. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, but you know, I, I'm being a little facetious because I, I obviously like I like both of them. Yeah, you're digging them. Yeah, I know you got at least one of those in a, in a closet somewhere. All right. Okay, so um, so I thought it was very handy that the trip through the wormhole with those little blobules of whatever that, that, that wreaked havoc would just so happen to deplete the power of the runabout down to 11%, which basically means you can't defend yourself. Right. Yeah, so th- that was handy. Because that basically made it expeditious, as we'll see in the next uh, next episode. What's going to happen? Because you can't run, you can't fight much. So what are you going to do? So I, I know it was very do. handy. I know what I, you do. I, I know it. I, I know it. I know you know. No spoilers. <laughs> okay. Speaking of which, you got some other comments? Nope, I'm good. Perfect. Okay, so this is uh, part three of four. But oddly enough, this is the Malibu issue number two with the DS9 Next Gen crossover. And it is titled The Other Siders. Published date is November 1994. Still previous in time to the first issue. Writer is Mike W. Barr. Co-plotter is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler, Gordon Purcell. Inker, Terry Pallet. Color design, Moose Bauman. Letterer is Patrick Owsley. Interior color is Violet Use or Violent Use with Janice Wiesmer. Editor is Mark Panacea and Margaret Clark. 
The cover presents an interesting melange of main characters' drawings. Riker's head is in the center, surrounded by Troy and Dax on the top of the page, and Data, Odo, and Kira on the lower half uh, of the cover. Odo is doing a little Mr. Fantastic impression. The Enterprise, D, DS9, and a mysterious black and blue planet are also drawn into the cover near the bottom. Riker's team aboard the runabout Mississippi made it through to the Gamma Quadrant side of the wormhole, only to be trapped by a tractor beam generated by an armada of unfamiliar ships. The armada also has the Admiral's runabout in a tractor beam. They should have taken the Enterprise. They talk about escape, but with minimal power reserves left from the rough ride through the wormhole, it's unlikely. Kara points to one of the many armada ships as if she can see the admiral's party captured on one of them. Riker gives the order to divert all power, including life support, to the shields on his mark. With no warning, the Mississippi reverses course and flies at the armada. The alien fleet fires on the runabout and destroys it. They scan for organic matter but find none. They're perplexed. Suddenly, the armada command ship is rocked. Someone is firing on them. Riker's team has unexpectedly beamed to the Admiral's runabout and is firing on the Armada. The aliens figure this out quickly and use a stasis weapon on the runabout, which physically freezes everyone aboard. Holy freeze ray, Batman! This apparently includes Data. The aliens board the runabout and take away the team as prisoners to the command ship where they are brought before the High Ascendancy himself. When they are unfrozen, Riker addresses the High Ascendant. He introduces himself and asks about the crew of the other Federation ship. Thoron, the High Ascendant, addresses them and says the Federation incursions into their space will cease. Dax says that they mean no harm, and that their intentions are peaceful. Thoron simply replies that their intentions are not. Meanwhile, in the Alpha Quadrant, Picard and Sisko are worried about receiving no word from Riker's team. However, they agreed to wait 12 hours before they attempt to launch another rescue mission, so they stick to that timetable. In the meantime, they leave DS9 to make a humanitarian visit to Bajor. On Bajor, the magnified storm activity triggered by the wormhole emissions is resulting in flooding. Worf, Picard, and Sisko join the Bajorans in stacking sandbags. Suddenly, a child falls into the water, and Worf jumps in after him. To get them out of the water, Geordi uses his transporter and scoops them up, while at the same time, they are firing the ship's phasers into the water on a wide beam. Everyone is, is saved, although I'm not quite sure why the beam came down, and uh, they all look at each other saying that they know all the sandbags are just stopgap measure. They need to deal with the source of the problem, the out-of-whack wormhole. In the Gamma Quadrant, on the other Siders command ship, Riker and his team escaped from their cell with the help of Odo, who transformed into a teeny tiny little fly to get close to the, uh, the cell guard. After he knocks the guard out, he frees the rest.
They split forces to, number one, find the Admiral, and number two, to implement a plan to restore the wormhole and give them a way to escape back to the Alpha Quadrant. Riker, Dax, and Kira find the status field generator instead of a machine generating the wormhole instabilities, but they take the opportunities they get and they manage to overload it to the point of exploding. At least this won't give any other Federation ships problems. Meanwhile, Odo, Deanna, and Data eventually find the Admiral and his party. Odo goes to the door lock and attempts to open it. As he tries, the Admiral waves them off and tells them to get out of there. Too late. An energy beam hits the Admiral. Deanna and her team are surrounded by six other cider guards as they look at the Admiral's dead, lifeless body. To be continued. I bet they wish that they would have listened to the Admiral. I bet the Admiral wishes they would have listened to him. <laughs> yeah, so th- that part was a little confusing. So Totally. I, I thought that Odo actually made it into the door because he shape-shifted his hand to have the exact same palm print as one of the guards. But, well, but you're thinking that he was trying to release the force field that was surrounding the Admiral? Well, I thought he was trying to get into into the... Yeah, he was trying to get into the cell. And I interpreted, and this is where the confusion comes in, and so... Okay, so... You kind of have to see the drawing, so hopefully people listening to this ha- have the book. But I was totally confused. So you see one shot that shows the Admiral and his people in the cell. You see Odo making a move to try to uh, drop the force field, open the door, whatever. And then suddenly you see the Admiral, who looks like he's shot in the back, because of the way he's kind of looks like he's kind of coming forward a bit, and because you don't actually see a beam in front of him. Then you see another shot that appears to be looking at totally the opposite direction, back at people that are on the outside of the cell which includes Odo and uh, Troy and Data. And behind them are six soldiers. So, exactly where everybody is in space is confusing to me. Because the only person behind the Admiral, I thought, were his own people. Um, But indeed, in the final shot, the Admiral is on the ground, face down, and smoke is coming out of his back. So yep. it does look like he was shot in the back. Right. But I'll agree with you that I was a little confused as to where he and those other people were in relationship to uh, Troy and them when right. they're trying to open that door. Right. So you're contending that they were able to get in, even though they didn't show it, they were right. able to get in, and then once they were in, they that's didn't what I was see thinking. the... That, okay. that's, that's what I was thinking, but... But you might be right, because it does look like while Odo's messing with the door, that maybe they're looking at somebody, looking at uh, the Admiral. But I thought that they were weren't in the room yet. Right. But it doesn't anyway, matter. It's confusing. It, it doesn't matter. The main point is Admiral looks like he's dead, and they're captured. Right. So we've got one captured team. We have another team which we assume survived the explosion. And we are we don't know that, and because they they weren't expecting that explosion to happen, 
I didn't go into that detail, but um, they appear as if they got out of the room in time, and they should be just they should still be free and roaming, but they were kind of thrown from the explosion, so who knows? Right. Yeah, I did think it was funny that she set up the stasis field to work on everybody else. Oh, I hated and, that. And then she says, I reason the machine was set... You know, well, hold on. Uh, she reversed the machine's controls. Right. The explanation for the machine... She, she explains that the controls were set to affect everyone except the aliens, the aggressive aliens. Mm-hmm. And just by turning the dials... She was able to get it to affect the aliens only and not the Federation people. It's like, yeah, right, right. And the part that, in addition to that, that I didn't like, she also says the generator's experimental. It's overheating very, and then it blows up. But exactly. how, how does she know it was experimental? I don't it's know. Experimental to you, but hell, they might have had that since the dawn of time. Yeah, they might have developed that before warp warp drive. I mean. I, you How don't did she know. know that it was experimental? No, but that helps explain why it blew up. Sure, that's the only because, reason why it's there. Because I didn't mention this, but but as Donovan says, at first they look like they're gonna they're gonna get captured because they're, they're they're closing in on them. But it's because she is able to magically flip the polarity or something, and, and basically put all the other aliens in that room in that engineering room into stasis. That's how they got away. So that's cool, I guess. <laughs> if you if you underst- if you if you accept the explanation, which is ridiculous, but quite frankly, it wouldn't be realistic if Dax just suddenly figured out how to work it. Right. I mean, it would have to be something simple, even though it's lame. Well, so, she is that good, though. She is good, as good as Odo is in changing into weird forms in different masses. She's good with figuring out technology. All right. So yeah. So let's talk about that one real quick. So last issue, he turned into a giant squid monster. In this issue, he changes into a fly. A little teeny tiny fly, yeah. Yep. So where does his communicator go? Because when he reverts back, he has the communicator. Still, I still always wonder yeah. what, what happens to that a- thing. Exactly. And if his, if his clothing is actually part of him, he just manufactures it, it's like, well, that still does not explain the communicator one bit. Right. Agreed. But the, the whole fly thing, I, I really had a hard time with that one. Yeah. I, I like it much better when Odo kind of, like, flattens himself out on the wall. Sure. And he moves, like, along the wall and then just chameleonizes into the, the, the color of the wall or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a lot more reasonable way for him to move from places to places without being seen. Especially, like, if he's up on the ceiling or something. Right. But this idea of him turning into a tiny fly, good God, really? Right. Yeah, I always have a hard time with him being able to change. I mean, we've talked this about this many, many times because they, they do it a lot in the comic book. And yeah. they did it some in the TV show, but it didn't seem as much. But yeah, I find it hard to believe he can't make a human face or humanoid face, but he can make whatever other type of face he needs to make to, for the plot. So here he is right. changing into these outlanders, outsiders, whatever they're called. Yep. And... Not only can he look like the outsider, he can actually change his palm print to match fingerprints and palm print of one particular uh, person. Guard, right? Yeah. 
Really? Then why don't you look like a human instead of this weird face that... Everybody knows you're different. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I did kind of like the conversation that he had with Data in this one where Data says, you know, maybe you need to understand human tendencies more. And then he's like, well, I don't need to understand humans. They need to understand me. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. That's attitude, man. And, That's attitude. Maybe that explains why he doesn't try to make a humanoid face because he doesn't want to conform to. Yeah, and, people. and all I had to do was say that. Not this other lame-o thing about, oh, I never could get human faces right. It's like, no. You you want to be yourself. You're not sure what you are, but you know you're not human, so I'm not going to look human. Right. That's 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 the explanation. Yep. Anyway. And I totally agree with you um, in regards to the water scene where Worf gets beamed out of the water, and then the water gets shot with a phaser from the ship. That was confusing. I, I And where was he beamed to? Because the next scene shows him standing what I thought was right where he just was. So Well, yeah, the only thing I can I can the only explanation I have, which I'm inferring, is Jordy beams him off, I beams him and the kid out of the water. They zap it with a wide beam phaser to what, boil off the water? Is that what they did? Yeah, because they had that and tidal then, wave thing coming in, so I assumed that it was to to boil off the tidal wave. I guess I don't know. I'm totally guessing. Yeah, and then and then I would have deposited them like up on the shore or the the higher area where all the sandbags are. Yeah, and that might be what they did since he looks to be standing right next to Picard and them, and they they uh, right were... right. So that kind of makes sense. It, it, beaming them out of the water and next to everybody else in the drier yeah. area that makes sense. Uh. The whole phaser thing was confusing to me. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> right. They can do anything. They have tech. Yeah, in the... Uh, in the, in, I mean, we've seen it in other things, but um, in the uh, Star Trek, the game, based on the... You know, this J.J. Abrams universe. Right, yeah, right. Uh, there's a scene where Kirk calls down a photon torpedo strike, like you know, just s- several feet in front of him. And uh, I had kind of that moment, like, really? I mean, I-, I know that they can hit things pinpoint, but he's on a planet, the Enterprise is in orbit, it's going to shoot a f- photon torpedo, and it's going to land, you know, you know, 50 yards from you and, and not and hit it exactly. Well, you know, tar- this is kind of the same thing. Yeah. So targeting is hard enough to believe, but the explosive power, I mean, cuz that's that's like a torpedo, right? I mean, it's yeah. like a missile. It's like something that goes boom. <laughs> and if it was a phaser, well, I don't know. I guess a beam of light, you know, it's more localized in the destruction, you know, where the light is, but doesn't a photon torpedo kind of like go out, explodes out? Right. I mean, they, and they, it's hitting something, so then, then that means there's going to be shrapnel in addition to whatever explosive material is in there. Well, yeah. Now, I, I agree, and I, <clears throat> the game has its issues, <laughs> but that was one of the ones I just rolled my eyes and like, I'm just going to keep playing <laughs> and not think about it too much. Right, exactly. That's funny. So, in Star Trek V, when they, when they fire on God... Did they use a torpedo? Uh, well, I don't think so. 
And okay. I don't think it wasn't the Enterprise, was it? Wasn't it uh, a bird of prey that was on the planet? I I don't remember that, but maybe I thought Kirk gave the order to the Enterprise to fire a photon torpedo down. But you maybe maybe you, you I, it's, it's, right. it's, it's been a long been, time since I watched that. Lo- <laughs> I know I'm about to say the same thing. It's been a long time. I could be mistaken. Yeah, the last time I even came close to watching that is I drove from Dallas to San Antonio one time and, you know, I had a little portable DVD player and I was like, you know what, I kind of want to listen to the commentary track of Star Trek V. Right. So I just turned it on, put put the audio on the speaker, on the mm-hmm. car speakers and I listened right. to Shatner and his daughter talking about it, you know, throughout the movie. Right. So I didn't actually see it, but I thought that I knew the story well enough that I knew what they were talking about. But uh, aside from just sitting down and actually watching Star Trek V, that might have been six, seven years ago. Right. Well, so Shatner was only able to get his daughter to be supportive and do commentary? Okay. Yeah, it's it's just the two of them on, on that uh, director's commentary. <laughs> we, we asked Nimoy, but he said, are you kidding? <laughs> I'll tell him what I really think. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, may I ask a question? Oh, please. I, I, right there in that tidal wave episode where Worf jumps in there and grabs the little boy. Right. Uh, he says, don't worry, I have you. And then the little boy says... Who has you? Who has you? You think right. that was a, a reference to Superman the movie? Oh. Um, you know, maybe. Or maybe the uh, writer just thought, that's really appropriate here. I'll just <laughs> use that. I mean, without it really being a... A nod or anything. Right. And the only reason why I thought maybe it was a nod was, you know, because this was a co-publication with DC Comics. Yeah. And maybe the writers, you know, because this was a Malibu issue, that they thought it would be, you know, a cute little nod to, you know, the DC comic movie. Right. But who knows? I just like, I thought it was a funny line. Yeah. That's 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 a good line. So I have an observation. All right. So when the Mississippi at the beginning powers up the shields and it, and I think it flies towards the Armada uh, and then it's destroyed. Mm-hmm. So they obviously must have transported over before the shields went to full power. And, and, because once the shields are up, you can't transport, right? That's the rule, usually. Yeah, unless they want to bend it for some reason in the story. Yeah. Okay, so they must have transported over and then did the shield thing uh, as a diversion. Yeah, okay. which doesn't make sense because the you would. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't make sense. Good point. Yeah. I didn't think about the shields. Yeah, because you'd think you'd think what you'd want to do is get the diversion going. Then they probably wouldn't notice the transport. Uh, but then you couldn't have the shields up. But anyway, just thought I'd point that out. Uh, uh, well, in regards to a scene very close to that, when they become stasis and beamed over to their little cell. Oh, yeah. And they're like uh, mannequins and they can't move. Yeah. So when did they open up Data's brain flap or whatever you want to call it? Because when he wakes up, yep, he has that little patch of skin that covers his, his blinking skull opened. Yeah, and so that was part of him checking out his positronic network or something. 
I guess. Because uh, you see you see his head open. He says something like, my positronic brain was unharmed or whatever. Right. Whatever he said. Exactly. And wouldn't you think you just you just do an internal diagnostic, probably more dependably than opening up a flap that you can't see anyway because your eyes are in the front of your head? Right. Whatever. I mean, the, the only thing I can think of is there on page 8. It shows them like on stretchers and stuff. So yeah. maybe that's supposed to be them experimenting on data, but I don't buy that. I don't. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. and this will make sense because on page nine he's moving around and he and his flap is not open, and then on page <laughs> on page uh, sixteen is when it's open. So exposing that, all to the world does not make sense. Yeah. And if it if the stasis thing doesn't work on Odo because he doesn't have a nervous system, then why does right. it work on Data? Good question. Good question. Darn right, it's a good question. In your face. So yeah. I com- I completely sl- skipped even mentioning uh, the little throwaway stuff about Bashir asking Crusher uh, you know about pumping her for info on you know getting together with Trills. Actually, I thought that was actually kind of good because it showed that he even you, you, all along you've been thinking that he's been asking her out to hit on her, and then you kind of find out that he just wants to ask her information about Trills. Okay, okay, if that's true. Riddle me this. So he knew about that relationship before she even came on the station then. Because most people don't know about that until he's already tried to hit on her. And Dax came into the scene, which triggered her to say something about um, her previous oh, yeah, good point. encounter with the Trill. Even though she didn't go into details. So even she didn't go into detail. So he must have known somehow before. Yeah, I that guess. or yeah, you're right. That or that wasn't his original motivation. I don't think it was his original motivation. <laughs> I think it was hitting on her. Yeah, I was given. I I actually liked that scene because I thought that, that he, gives him. You know, yeah. was really doing it because he likes Brashear. I mean, uh, he likes Dax. But you're right. He does ask her out before he knows about Dax. Or yeah, about her but, trill past. Right. Oh. Good point, good point. The the Riker and Dax setting up uh, a date in the middle of the mission. Uh, oh, yeah. Was, the, is was that a, what you were talking about earlier? That's what I was talking about. Ah, yes. okay. It was, it was the love mission. Okay. That's right. <laughs> it's making another run. There you go. Right. He, he you know, basically drinks her on me kind of thing. Well, I yeah. didn't think that as a date. I thought that was more of just... Oh, that's that's total flirtation time. Yeah, I can see that. Total total flirtation. And then Kira's going, Dax. You know, kind of like, oh, you're incorrigible. And she's pretty, she, she's pretty forward about it, too. It isn't Riker making the moves, it's her. Dax, that is. Right, right. Well, the, she's always kind of flirtatious. Is she? Not with Jilly, Julian. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, she was pretty forward with Worf, wasn't she? Kind of. She, uh, wasn't, she, she certainly wasn't shy about it. No, she was not. No. Anyway. Well, well once, you, once you've been around for hundreds of years, I mean, how old is the Trill? Uh, at least 100-something years old. The slug? I mean, once you've been around long enough, why dispense with the BS? 
<laughs> Just tell them what you want. Well, within reason. Right. Yeah. I, I get you. <laughs> That's funny. I just thought I'd mention that. Yep. All right. Uh, my last comment. Um, if you can jump over to page 17. Okay, 17. I am so jumping. Odo just takes out a, uh Outlander because he was the fly and he reverted back to his normal size. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he says that he's going to... Uh, uh, vacate the the premises immediately, and then the last panel has Riker kind of winking, looking down the barrel of a of a gun, uh, a handgun, and he's pointing it right at Odo's face, and he says, "I've got a better idea, Odo." When I read <laughs> I'm gonna, that, I was like, I'm going to oh blow God. your head off. <laughs> I that's what he was doing. I thought, oh, they somehow were brainwashed or this is not the real Riker, you know, cause you've already seen that they can, uh, revert to, you know, other species. Right. And when that happened, I'm like, Oh snap. It's not really Riker. Oh, ah. get his head blown off. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so if Odo gets his head blown off, would he be like, uh, the Terminator, the, the, the liquid metal Terminator and just kind of reform or something? Absolutely. Okay. There you go. Handy. All right. That was my last comment. Okay. Yeah, I don't have any more. All right. And then we don't have any expanded universe because we're going to cover these months in the respective monthly issues. So uh, next week, episode 126, we're going to do Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, number four. Excellent. And then a one-shot called Tarok Nor, number zero. Hmm. And that's it. We just got two next two next week. Cool. So the Terak Noor, uh, of course, is the old name for Deep Space Nine. Right. Right. And that's uh, so. It's a. It's a. Is it a big one? Is it a you know yeah, thick it's, thick it's one? Another special annual type things. Kind of like cool. uh, was it Lightstorm or whatever right. we read a couple weeks ago? Right. Or not? That was just last week. Yeah. Yep. So. So we're getting a lot of DS Nine. Yep. Lots of DS Nine. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this Terak Nor one because I've I've never read it. Uh, neither have I. So good. So I'm not the only one being exposed to new and interesting things. And it's going to be you know pre Federation time, I think. So uh, pre, pre the Federation well, being in their part of the yeah Alpha before Quadrant. the Federation takes over. Right. Right. Time. Yeah. Yep. Something to look forward to. Uh, sounds like it. Perfect. All right, and so since this is June, again, go out, watch Star Trek Into Darkness, or Superman, Man of Steel, either one. (laughs) Support our favorite franchises. The collective (laughs) are favorite franchises. I'm sure we all dig it. Sure. Definitely the Star Trek, obviously, or else you wouldn't be listening, but uh, I'm sure sure there's some uh, Superman love out there, too. Well, anybody who reads comic books has to love Superman, right? Just kidding. Not Not as much as you. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm fine with Superman, but oh, yeah. But I've I've given you my opinion on Superman before. Yeah, yeah, and I don't buy it. He's too all powerful. Sorry, boring. I just don't understand that. But so right. which one? Which one of his incredibly, uh, except for Kryptonite, which one of his incredible superpowers is he going to use? Super strength, 
laser beams kind of went out of his eyes. I mean, you know, what, what, what? Super speed, super breath, microscopic vision. <laughs> microscopic vision. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's, it's, just, it's just too much. Ah, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Except when he becomes human when he comes in contact with the alien. What are you talking or, about? Oh, you're talking about Superman and aliens crossover? Crossover, yes. Well, that's because he was under a red sun. Oh, yeah. that's it. The red sun. I forgot. Sheesh. Okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. So until next week, guys, Hope hopefully uh, everybody's doing well, and we'll talk to you later. And enjoy that movie. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.